0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critical Thinking, Episode Thirty Four, where we're still on Critical Role, Episode Thirty Three. My numbering scheme. My numbering scheme. <laughs> <laughs> we got it back with the. We got it back with the with the book review, and now it's gone again. It's um, almost as
1: though the universe delights in making sure that parenthetical arithmetic sequences don't always happen when you want them to. Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, if we didn't do things like this, we wouldn't eventually be able to... uh, Eventually, we would fall off anyways because of, like, the Battle Royale episodes. So...
1: eh. Eh. But is it a Battle Royale with cheese? No. No.
0: Anyways, I'm John, at John A. Bates, on Twitter, and executive producer here at Final Show Films. Uh, And with me today is Jack...
1: Hi, hey everybody. I'm Jack. I'm at AltF4Gamers on Twitter, and I'll be providing all the shitty Quentin Tarantino references today. And Jeremy.
2: Hi, I'm Jeremy. I'm at JThomas411mania, and it would be more like the greatest non-royal rumble. <laughs>
0: <'Cause there's> no <laughs> non-royal with cheese. In the cool. game. Uh... Yeah, is Tina's
1: technically a princess?
0: Not technically. Spiritual leader and princess. One a are two lot I mean, is, yeah. a, <laughs> is a Disney princess, but not all Disney princesses are royalty. That is true. The so, more you yeah. know, picking back up at the after the break. Uh, I know we we went a little bit past the break last time. We're gonna start back at the break because I would seen the time and just started talking
1: fast <laughs> because we were speed
0: reading our way through it. <laughs> and
1: the rest of us were like, "Wait, what the
0: fuck is happening now?" Uh, part two, breaking from the unexpected kiss. Remember that uh, at the at before the break. Uh, uh, after dealing with the, please don't do that. <laughs> That's right in my brain if you could not uh after 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 saving Cassandra um from her captor they uh, uh and reviving Vaxildon, vax professed his love for Kelath and kissed her on the face without asking for consent we need to talk about we need to talk to vax about things uh <laughs> I'm only, I'm...
1: Why do, why do I get the feeling that Scanlan would try and volunteer to lead the seminar and everybody would just have to just shut him down immediately? <laughs> so it's interesting
2: that you bring that up. Um, like we weren't going to bring it up. I mean, I thought we were moving directly past this moment <laughs> because it was pre-break. But, so, it just so happens that... Um... Uh, <laughs> I've been in the process of, of, of catching up on, on um, one of my favorite non-Final Show Films podcasts, Jim uh, uh, Elsie's explained the X-Men, and they talked about two very similar instances that, that occurred during, uh, during uh, in a very close proximity of each other uh, during the late 80s with the X-Men. And talking about, there was, they both involve Wolverine. And I think this is going to go somewhere, but it might not. So we'll see how this conversation goes. Um, but so the first, so there, there, there was an instance where he, he, he walks up to, to Jean during the Inferno storyline. It's a whole lot of context. I'm not going to get into, but who thinks he's dead at that point and is also kind of, there's there's a, there's a whole bunch of weirdness that goes on, but grabs her, kisses her in an extremely weird moment with Cyclops standing right there when there hasn't been any real context to their relationship up to that point, um, other than a little bit of flirtation from time to time, because, and who is, quote, I just had to make sure it was you. Then there was a point that that happened a little bit later when Wolverine, taking the the male X Men, having taken the 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 male members of the team out to blow off some steam and stopping an alien invasion in the process, comes home drunk and essentially does the same thing to Storm. The difference between these two is context. And context matters a lot when you throw in moments like these. Um, And then in that, in that second context, the relationship was pretty well established as at least being mutual flirtation and not just one person sort of creeping on the other one. Yeah. Um and so I guess what what's weaving back around in this and sort of sort of my original point is that scenes like this can work. And this one obviously turns out okay ultimately. Um in part because I think uh, uh um uh everybody was just sort of sort of game for it, and everybody had sort of picked up on. On on the fact that it was potentially mutual,
1: there was some um, subtext.
2: There yeah. was subtext, <laughs> yeah. If you're doing, if you're writing a story and you put a scene in, the, the difference between it seeming really creepy and off-putting and actually feeling, you know, romantic or dramatic. Or appropriate to the characters, is taking the time to build the context leading up to it.
0: Yeah, it has to be earned. Yes,
2: it really does. I feel like in this case, it was absolutely no. I, um, I, I was mostly. It was definitely that, a little bit of a. It was definitely a little bit of a surprise for a lot of people. I know that there were a lot of. I was one of them. A lot of Axleth shippers before this point. Um, I legitimately, honestly don't remember if we just picked up on the signs up to that point or like most shippings are here are these two
0: people. I think they'd be a good team up there were there 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 were signs before there were signs yes as mm -hmm. as someone that as someone that does not pick up on a lot of subtle uh uh social cues i could see the signs before this happened so yeah yeah there was there was some foreshadowing there was some signaling okay it's been
1: a while since 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 um
0: but no and 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 i think the the important thing like like you said the, the important thing here is is context and and in both from a narrative perspective and in a real life perspective, there it's it's a it is a very, uh, how should I say, cautious bri- cautious bridge to tread, um, because it's very very easy for something like this to uh, go very very wrong. Yep. Um, the in in this particular case, it was a see the romantic
1: scenes in every John Wayne movie ever. There
0: you hmm. go. Um, it, it was very much a uh, um, in this particular case there was a lot of contextual build up a lot of tension between these two characters and yep. while that doesn't necessarily excuse a, a, a surprise kiss so long as it's reciprocal there is a level of there's a level of acceptance that can happen there as opposed to if this had just been like as opposed to when scanlan does basically anything.
2: Yes. Um, really, yes. <laughs>
0: uh but
2: guys, but, be more be more Vax than Scanlan.
0: But what but that's also it's also provides a really good, you know, foil to Scanlan. Like the yeah. Vax's relationship with Keyleth and Scanlan's relationship with women in general or and men in general uh and everything in general. Uh <laughs> cubes in general uh that are, are very good foils to one another uh where where scanlan you know does all of these things that make him at once creepy and at once endearing depending on what your perspective on the situation is with vax it's very shy and subtle and 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 and, and you know awkward Mm-hmm. And, of course, tastes vary. There are, you know, there are people that will like one more than the other. But in general, when you're from a writing perspective, it has to be earned. And in this case, it was earned.
2: I am pleased and a little surprised that, 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 that the, the, the way I started that actually went somewhere.
0: Yeah, that's okay. So, uh... Breaking from the unexpected kiss, Keyleth is utterly red-faced as she looks like a she looks at like a badly wounded Vax, who remarks that her ability to transform is really cool before noting his rapid blood loss, which is sort of which is sort of part of the the um there was this really sort of magical moment like narratively there's this magical moment with the kiss and then immediately devolves as one of them is starting to die, um, which which is a, it's 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 a it's a not a standard comedy trope. But it, is a, but it is a comedy bit that has happened before, and I always like it. Yeah,
2: it's, an, it's a fun subversion on the classic version of those moments where everything is okay, and it's the celebratory sort of thing.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a celebratory makeout session that does not end with us riding into the sun, but instead ends with one of them collapsing to the ground. Which I appreciate. Yep. <coughs> um uh, What am I looking for? Where was I at? Sorry, Keyleth, still stuck in the moment, uh, casts Cure Wounds on him. Vex, unable to witness this moment any longer, walks out of the room to follow Grog, Scanlan, and Trinket as they continue in pursuit of Ripley. Keyleth finishes casting the spell, Percy gathers a bundle of Vex's arrows and starts whacking Vax on the chest with it, chastising him for being reckless, especially with Cassandra's life being in danger. Keyleth backs away, and both her and Vax point out that the younger DiRolo would have died if he hadn't taken action, which is, again, so... I, I have an interesting relationship with that sentiment. I tend to agree with that. Like, it's one of those things where it's better to act and then, you know, act and fix the consequences later, than to stop and potentially have the consequences be worse. I'm well aware. I've I've DM'd for you. Yeah, but <laughs> and but that doesn't narratively and in real life that doesn't always work out quite so clean. What do no, you guys What do you guys think about that particular?
2: Uh... I mean, in role playing games, it doesn't always work out that well either. No. Um. That's. Uh... Those kinds of things are the are the fun when done well. Those kinds of things tend to be the a good way to introduce logical realistic and interesting conflict in the groups in terms of styles in terms of um uh, in terms of stakes, in terms of people, you know, characters. I By this, I mean, hopefully not players, but characters being legitimately frustrated with the person who runs ahead uh, uh, full bore while everybody else is like, all right, let's sneak out. Let's stop here. Let's talk. Hey, where'd Steve go? Um that's a type of conflict that i always uh, i always find interesting and enjoy because a lot of conflict when you, when, when you're coming in with parts and, and to the back of i enjoy conflict within groups of protagonists i think when everybody is all on the same side it's or you know all of the exact same mind it tends to be a little bit boring Um, I, 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 I'm more X-Men and Avengers than Justice League, although Justice League has more, still. Um, so when you can find ways to do that, that that are not either A, somebody is evil and going to betray the party because that's always feels a little bit contrived um just because of the narrative the narrative ways that you tell that story you, waiting too long to reveal and and so on or the other way that i think uh, uh groups tend to uh conflict tends to be portrayed is um let's call it melodramatics romantic things uh um uh, just general soap opera east kind of stuff. And don't get me wrong, I love that stuff. Um, but those seem to be like the only two ways a lot of a, a lot of art tend to portray it. So, in something like this, if you can find some sort of philosophical conflict where these characters are all still friends or all still generally, you know, of of the same. Moral direction and and are united in just about everything else, but have reasons to have real conflict with each other.
1: I'm a fan. Yep. Uh, I also I have
2: uh, a
1: slightly nuanced uh, take on that as well. I am um, <clears throat> a firm believer with the exception of very few things, usually adaptations of Bronte literature and things like that, having characters take initiative and act is very rarely, if ever, a worse choice than having them sit on their asses and contemplate. Um the last thing anybody wants is for a creative work to be boring that's pretty much the the definitional antithesis of what most people are after when they start to tell a narrative and if you have a group of players say using tabletop as an example since that's our our main medium that we're working with here I would far rather, as somebody who's trying to tell a story, have to rein in a whole bunch of bolting wild horse type players than have to trot out a bullwhip and beat the shit out of a bunch of dead mule type players just to try and get them to fucking move along. Now, taking the example of, like Jeremy brought up, the character that just bolts off by themselves to go do something while the rest of the group is by planning a slightly more uh tactical approach that's a little different because the it's not that the group is stagnating and needs an inciting incident to get them moving they're in the process of moving they're just moving in a particularly subtle way but they're moving which is at least interesting and at that point then yes there is some conflict um and it, Taken in balance, it can be humorous, and it can be can be entertaining to have that one sort of wild card character that just, you know, fucks off and does something crazy while the rest of the group is doing the more, quote unquote, an intelligent approach, um, but both as a player and as a GM, if at any point the group is spinning their wheels and just like, well, we're here, and we don't really feel either the freedom or the necessity or the inclination to do anything that is either a failure of player, DM, or both, in my opinion. Um, so for that sort of approach, I would say I vastly prefer characters that come up with an idea and act on it rather than, than characters that come up with seven ideas and spend three hours of table time trying to decide on one rather than just trying one and seeing what happens. But that's me.
0: Yeah, And and to, to clarify, you know, having long drawn-out discussions and meetings about things isn't necessarily boring, um, but it can be it's a lot easier for that to become boring than than, uh, more action-oriented things. Although action-oriented things can also very easily become boring, depending on what's happening. You know, God knows there are plenty of boring action movies. Um, (laughs) Yes. But Mm -hmm. that is a a thing to take into consideration. Uh, If you end up in a spot where you've got... A set amount of information, there are only so many ways you can parse that information. There is a tendency in 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 in, in, in not not in all DD groups, but in certain D and D groups, uh, and in and in certain narrative uh, schools of thought and writing, um, that all options need to be weighed as equally as all others. Uh, I know there are several TV shows that will spend uh, that will spend a slightly too much time going over all the possibilities. In narrative, that's less forgivable than it is in D&D, because in a narrative, you as the author already know what possibility is going to happen. You do not need to spend an excessive amount of time going over the possibilities that are not going to happen. No. Um, you can spend an amount of time, sure to build up suspense and and you know create that mystery. But you if you don't know what's going to happen, how did you get to where you are? Um in D&D that happens because you have 2 to 6 maybe more uh people looking at a problem and trying to solve it. And each one of them coming to their conclusion that they think is best, and then having to argue that conclusion until they convince, or are ignored, or whatever, everyone else to that conclusion. Um, and that tends to cause a lot of that same issue. Uh, so that's pr- and, and that's that is almost exactly why I am that type of character in a and D game. Because after an hour and a half of arguing about what to do, I'm just going to do a thing. <laughs> because, yeah. goddammit, we're not going to do anything if I don't.
1: Um, yeah, and that can be a pressure, I think, on a lot of players as well, where you see the, you know, and for, it's a, it's an interesting look at the various ways that, that individual humans communicate um because some people in order to make a decision have to go over all of the options 10 times each that's just that's how they're psychologically wired other people do not and about the third time they feel like oh god we're just running this hamster wheel with no end in sight, because that's not their communication or or psychological processing profile. So they have no idea where or if this is ever eventually going to lead. And when you have those various ways of looking at situations and making decisions in a single group, it's very common that somebody gets frustrated or somebody... Feels like we're not really making progress, and something needs to change. And you know, and it's always interesting to see how how various groups will will cycle through that, and eventually end up resolving it.
0: Yep. So yeah, that's something to be aware of. Everybody out there that plays D anD D and and writes stories, there will have, there will come a time where the players have. Enough information to make a decision, but not enough information to know which decision is the right one. And this will happen. It will. Hmm. So. uh, Percy thanks Vax for his action, asks him to count ten next time, and walks over to Cassandra. The two of them tearfully embrace, finally reunited for the first time in five years, as Percy apologizes apologizes to his sister, noticing that his sister has changed considerably compared to the happy little girl she once was. Cassandra is relieved, happy that both she and her brother are still alive despite their differing circumstances before turning stoic. She tells her brother that he shouldn't even be here, and that they were using her as bait for the trap which nearly killed Vax. Upon being asked if she is herself, she affirms that she is, and despite her her words, Percy gleans into her demeanor and can't seem to find any sort of deceit in her expression or tone. Uh, Mostly just noticing the the changes compared to five years ago, because when you haven't seen somebody in five years, they tend to be different. Percy assures Cassandra that they are putting an end to the Briarwoods tonight before the sun sets, and that they will stop their plot from coming to fruition. Cassandra notes that she and the populace have already tried twice and failed, but uh, he again assures her that this is it. Cassandra tells Percy that he left her to possibly die, which Percy again apologizes for, and she, uh, she steals herself and declares that she will be joining Vox Machina into the catacombs. Percy protests, uh, Cassandra, uh, 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 pro- Percy protests, telling her to go to her room. Cassandra says she's going to, but not to rest, just to gather her shit. She comes, back wearing, uh, she comes back wearing the uh, armor of her, their... Oh, sorry. She's going to get the, the armor that her mother had. Yep. Um, despite Percy's protest, she reminds him that she's been fighting the Briarwoods for far longer than he has, and that if their goal is to save Whitestone, and, uh, and, uh, then they should do so together. She also points out that she doesn't have to listen to Percy. Uh... To which Percy finally goes, yeah, you know, you're right, oh well. Meanwhile, Vex catches up to Grog and Scanlan as Trinket continues to pursue Ripley. The Doctor manages to evade uh, evade the Caltrops placed at the front door earlier, because she saw the Caltrops being placed at the front door earlier, um, slips through the cracks, and escapes out into the city. Trinket also avoids the Caltrops and forces his way to the doors, but by the time the four of them gather together, Ripley is already long gone. Vex notices the sounds of struggle happening in the city, with no clear way to determine which side is winning. They whistle for Trinket to return inside, and the four give up the chase. As they head back to the study, Vax, Keyleth, and Percy take a while to rest and bandage their wounds while they wait for Cassandra. Vex's group returns and informs them that is already gone. Percy can see that Ripley is not a priority compared to the danger that lies beneath them. Percy requests that Grog set Andrews' body on fire, but before he does, Vex loots the body and takes his boots as well as a handful of gold pieces. Scan identifies the boots as being Boots of Levitation, and Vax then look around to study for anything else. Vax notices that one of the drawers of the desk is locked, and upon inspection sees that the drawer is trapped. With ease, he disarms the trap, and discovers that it was meant to fire a poisonous bolt at whoever would set it off. Vax then unlocks the drawer and opens it, revealing a collection of letters. Percy walks over and shares his findings with the party. Many of the letters detail a slew of disconcerting things, such as the removal of key magical defenses during a political, m- during a political meeting in Iman to ensure that certain individuals and safeguards uh, are uh, bl- that are usually made during such meetings were not present during the endeavor. Party discerns that this can be used as evidence with- that will clear their names. And I want to talk about this for a minute, because this is another commonly recurring trope in not just fantasy stories, but in all stories. The bad guys will always keep extensive notes and keep them in places that are slightly difficult to access, but are still keeping them. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the thing that happens. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but if I was planning a, you know, uh, a thing that had already happened... I might keep the instructions until they happen, because, you know, you might want to reference back and make sure you're doing exactly what you're told. But after the job is successful, wouldn't you burn it? Nope. Why not?
2: Because I need something that I can use to hold over my, uh, the, the other
0: party's heads so that they don't bring me down. But when the other party is a vampire lord that doesn't give a shit about your blackmail... Don't they?
2: I would think that they would if they are planning to expand out to other territories and don't want all their dark secrets revealed.
1: Well, here's the thing. There's a number of ways that this sort of intelligence, because usually this is meant as an exposition dump. that's Mm -hmm. that's the that's the narrative mechanic that's at work here the the audience or the participants need more information so that they can have a better idea of what's going on and therefore make intelligent choices as to how to to overcome further obstacles or or sometimes it's just to show the scope of the villain and you know build them up so that they are perceived more accurately at the at the level of threat they present and things like that there's lots of good reasons to have exposition um but unless but but you want your exposition exposition presented naturally and you want it to be a sort of logical discovery of things you know, which is which is why you we sort of all kind of tongue in cheek groan at the trope of you know the villain doing the monologue while he hangs the the hero over the pit of lava and reveals all the the items in the plan so that when the hero invariably escapes, he now knows everything he needs in order to shut down the world ending disaster that the villain had plotted in the first place. Um. So for things like this it can feel a little shoehorned a little contrived um my favorite honestly uh in terms of this is from the film adaptation of v for vendetta um where inspector finch is trying to figure out what's been going on that Mm -hmm. created this individual who's uh anarchist terrorist depending on who you talk to or you know a a, liberation, a liberationist revolutionary or whatever right but anyway he's trying to trace down who this person is where they came from initially because hey I'm law enforcement I have to catch a terrorist you know kind of thing and in the film there's this throwaway line of the most complete records for any government are the tax records and he literally goes in and just traces financially where all the money came from to figure out who's affiliated with this research center blah 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 blah. but and that makes sense you know as an audience you immediately buy into that that doesn't feel contrived at all because yeah, yeah. bureaucracy loves paperwork and they love keeping records and even if you have a conspiracy that is trying to sweep under the rug violent unethical human experimentation that may have created a paranormally or supernaturally or superhumanly powered individual that is now trying to dismantle the government that created him in the first place it still makes sense that they would have kept the receipts for that kind of thing
0: yeah
2: yep because, uh and uh, as a total side note, since it well not side note, it's narrative. <clears throat> if you're interested in in the art of storytelling, and you have not seen that movie, watch it. It's on Netflix. That movie is a goddamn masterclass in 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 mixing mystery, action, um. Philosophy, uh, <laughs> philosophy uh, uh, activism,
0: and 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 just sheer drama. It is right. on Netflix currently, so you have less excuses to not watch it. Also, no. I
2: swear to God. Fucking Hugo, we even figured out some way to make that mask change expressions. <laughs> because
1: <laughs> yes, it's also a goddamn masterclass in voice acting and for and real, the, the, the non the non visible some of some of the, the non facial versions of of how you can create a character who literally you never see his face.
2: The first time I saw it, I legitimately thought they had they did CGI work on the mask. Um, and then so later found out, just no, good.
1: <laughs> he's just that good. Right. He just used body language and inflection. Body language, to, like, to, a, to a degree. Head, particular right.
2: lighting changes. Just, um, oh,
1: yeah. No. As much as Alan Moore hates that movie, we love that movie.
2: Alan Moore hates every movie, that's, no matter how good it is. It's true. His big problem with V for Vendetta, besides the putting it in a modern, uh, a post nine eleven context, was I shit you not, the piggy in a blanket, (laughs) (laughs) because that's not a food that people eat.
0: Anyways, I love Alan Moore, but dude, (laughs) yeah, I guess I guess to to reel it back, (laughs) the problem that I have. uh narrative when narratively constructing thing is that i know that i i know that my players need to find information but my problem is figuring out what information is going to be relevant plus realistic for or or likely or 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 make sense for them to find because i really desperately don't want them to get the video game thing of stumbling across an audio log every five minutes where somebody has just sort of idly, idly recorded the last 10 minutes of conversation that they had ending with them getting shot in the head by something or eaten by a monster because apparently the monster ate them, but not the audio recording device that they're talking into. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, and and managed to hit the stop button after eating them or they managed to hit the stop button while they were flailing around trying to not be eaten. Uh, <coughs> well, BioShock. <clears throat> yes. I will say
2: that doing exposition dumps are infinitely more tricky in a role-playing game than they are in uh when they are when you are the soul uh, a creative crafter of the story, because you get to decide where the protagonists go and how they find out the information. This is actually a conversation that to to sort of sort of uh, go behind the screen a little. This is a conversation that we have had many a time after epi- uh, episodes of 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 Eberron. Yeah, um, because I. Eberron being as different of a world as it is and being a lot more intrigue and and political machination and all of this kind of stuff going on and I, I always like my games to be very mystery and, and story oriented as opposed to quest oriented um, so there tend to be a metric shit ton of exposition dumps And a lot of them end up being very inelegant, partially because I have it planned as, okay, this could potentially happen, they they could potentially get the information this way, this way, and this way. And like any good party, they find option D which is not to run into any of these potential things so then at the last second i have to come up with some something that just drops all of the information in their lap and it sounds it, it sounds cheesy in force because it is um that's on me that's not on them but uh, <laughs> it's always it, it's something that I think if you're running a game and you find yourself having to do it, because this is something I have to tell myself right now is, okay, yes, that felt bad, and you should figure out ways to make it feel less bad later, but that wasn't just you fucking up. That was because this is an interactive thing. Um, so go a little easier on yourself if you have problems.
0: Unless the real problem With is that... With your
2: exposition dumps feeling clunky and the real,
0: all. The real problem is that Jack somehow makes it uh, seem so fucking seamless that yeah. I end up comparing myself to him. Yeah, fucking bastard. Yeah. no, there's a goddamn
2: high bar there. <laughs> um...
1: I just have you guys randomly go into magical dimensions where literally anything could logically show up, and you find old letters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know... It... I'm not skilled. I just make it really fucking goddamn easy on myself.
0: <laughs> you just make it seem a lot more skillful than it is. <laughs> yes, I do. That's the problem. I bullshit it. That's what. Uh, anyways. Uh, where the fuck was I? <laughs> uh, we were talking about uh, the, the letters. That's right. Letters. Um. So yeah, the party discerns that this can be evidence for that will clear their names. The letters also go into detail about the best construction methods used to mine Whitestone and repairs for the, main, for the mains in the Ziggurat, uh, as well as multiple warnings to Anders over the years about the arrival of Seeker Assum-Imring's spies. In addition, there are letters that talk about plotting and, plotting and diverting political attention away from Whitestone to leave it a political enigma, and letters about planting information within Wildmount that would lead their investigation team to believe that the Briarwoods had been found dead. And throughout these letters, but oh,
2: oh, sorry, I don't know about anybody else, but this was the point when I was watching this that I, I mean, there was a lot of great stuff before this, and I definitely made sounds that a human should not make at at the moment just before the break, um, but. <laughs> um, <laughs> This was the moment where I got a little giddy cuz because like I, like I said I love politics in 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 my fantasy storytelling. I love intrigue and betrayal and and all that. so a letter uh, or a a desk full of letters with dark secrets of from people in power that's my fucking jam. Um, this is the kind of thing that I think a lot of fantasy storytelling neglects in favor of a star for, for lack of a better term, the star Wars arc of the young hero who falls into a life of, of, uh, of big heroics. And there are there are are dark individuals at that at the top of the tower with vague plans of ruling the galaxy or the world or the continent or the country or the city i'm feeling very attacked right now <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is not you you just literally you called out of... the big tower <laughs>
1: I meant power okay but but, sense. but John, do you do you have a an organization of individuals tasked with ruling over all of reality as far as the characters are concerned that functions only tenuously in any basis of reality as far as a political system is capable of operating? looking at you, George Lucas and your bullshit galactic Senate that doesn't make any goddamn sense No that I do we not may ask. have issues about the prequel. Uh, <laughs> also, that's not how a trade fucking embargo works. What the fuck?
0: <laughs> uh, you mean you don't trade embargo by, uh, by rigging a planet with ships and preventing any cargo get from getting in there? No, that is how you in trade embargo in a movie
2: designed for 13-year-olds. Um, <laughs> Star Wars complaints aside, like, <clears throat> that is a standard narrative trope you see it it, it's it's all over the place and it more generally it's called the hero's journey but you see it in the fucking wheel of time books which is
0: don't get me started i mean (laughs) if you want if you want political intrigue wheel of time is where you go
2: wheel of time has that but uh, but wheel of
0: time is dense with it i'm not gonna get into it um because podcast. Um, <laughs> that'll be
2: that'll
0: be on our long. that'll that'll be on that'll be on our wheel of time reread podcast
2: <laughs> for me that would be a read because i literally Re- made <laughs> i made it 300 pages in after constant ur- urging to do it for my significant other threw it down because they had not left the town yet and was told. Oh, I know the first couple of books are kind of shitty, but it gets really good after that. These books are like a thousand pages long apiece.
1: <laughs> for, for point of interest, I think the first book in the Wheel of Time series I read was like the fourth book. So I had no idea as to the backstory, but I was sort of figuring it out as I went along. And I was like, okay, yeah, no, some of these characters are kind of cool, blah, blah, blah. If I had picked up the first book, I would have quit on that series so goddamn fast.
0: Yep, I read from the first to the last. I've read all of the Wheel of Time. But, but yeah, so Lord of the Rings
2: is another good example. I'm not saying that this trope is bad. These stories are iconic for a reason. Um, and as much as much shit as we're giving the prequels, that story works in.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, to be clear, the prequels didn't have the heroes journey. Th-
2: Of the Star Wars movies, main saga movies. The prequel, the prequel,
0: (laughs) the prequels did not do the hero's journey. They did a weird modification of the hero's journey, where the hero's journey is being kidnapped by an old man and his apprentice. (laughs) I mean, they did,
2: they did, they basically did the space fantasy version of Breaking Bad from Jesse's perspective. Yeah. That's that's more or less what the novels wow. are. I've never the, heard the, it the, described. That the original, before, that the
0: original trilogy, frighteningly did. accurate. The <laughs> original trilogy did the hero's
1: journey. Oh yeah. yeah, very iconically. Yes, absolutely. Um,
2: but that story, you—it's it, important for reason, and of course, <laughs> you know, they're telling stories to this day that are great that follow that trope. But I love it when when stories take different t- different directions off that and i love political intrigue and i love the mystery and and uh, uh shit the game of thronesiness kind of stuff yes. um and that's something that scenes like this are wonderful at
0: yeah yeah I just want to note that we are, uh, we've been recording for an hour, and we're seven paragraphs in. So... We don't have that many paragraphs to go.
2: We have a lot of paragraphs to go, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Se- seven of, like, thirty-two.
0: Heh! Sounds like good. i saying this is a five-hour episode. It's, it's true, it's true, it's true. And very little combat.
2: Um. Oh, I'm um, no five hours for us. Oh, well, so seven out that. of thirty-two.
0: Yeah. Um, in addition, there are letters about uh, that talk about plotting and diverting political tissue away from so blah, blah, blah. Uh, and throughout these letters are mentions that the Undying King shall return. We are his blood. The letters are not signed. The letters are not signed, but they are of the same handwriting. They also find one unrelated letter that talks about business ledgers related to the construction of the bridge between Wild Mountain and Mon, as well as future plans related to the construction, and, and the letter is signed Lord Riscal Daxio. The party realizes that Daxio is a member of the Taldori Council, and therefore do that he is a spy for the Briarwoods. They also remember that he oversaw the construction of Grayskull Keep. As soon as Scanlon, as soon as Scanlon hears this, he decides to scry on the Keep, and after a while sees nothing suspicious happening in the counter. In the kitchen, the Keep appears safe now i do want to point out that i think that I, I i don't i don't know if i'm just reading this wrong but i think they missed a trick here um the letters were talking about the construction of the bridge to wild mount because that was the cover that they were using to meet with the kingdom of Amman.: there wasn't any anything about constructing apparently- there wasn't anything inherently
1: incriminating against Daxio in the letter. But, Correct.
0: It, 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 it's sort of a letter but, that they would but make it, sense But to it's, the,
1: it's the level of suspicion that the cops get when they're investigating a murder and find out, oh, he made frequent calls to the victim's wife, you know, yep. or something like that, you know. This, um, is
2: the point where, this is the point where the good cop says, yeah, but it's all circumstantial. We, we have to investigate further. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, this is one of those things where it, I didn't necessarily leap to. Oh, Daxio's working at the Briarwoods, because I recalled immediately that yes, Daxio is the guy who is you know, sort of the the guy who leads all the construction efforts in Iman, and if they're wanting to work with Iman to build a bridge to Wildmount, they're going to be working with Daxio. I mean, that's personally, a- that's
2: exactly why I jumped to. Wait a minute, someone on the council might be betraying. Yes,
0: I'm in. <laughs> whereas i was like this this makes as much you know it makes sense that they would have a letter to him just like it would make sense that they're talking to emperor iman which which is why like yes iman is currently under their mental power but iman is not himself a traitor
1: iman is also the name of uh, not the name of the country sorry or the emperor (laughs)
0: what's the, (laughs) the emperor of iman yes whose name i've forgotten because I thought he was named after him. Um, I don't think... Uh,
1: Uriel? Sabrin Uriel. Uriel?
0: Uriel, what's his name? Uriel the Tal, Tal Dori. Oh, Tal'Dorei. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. The Emperor mm-hmm. of Tal... Uh, Emperor Taldor. Amon is the city. Amon is the city, Taldori is the country. Taldori is the
1: kingdom and also the last name of the Emperor. Right? Got it. Mm-hmm.
0: Sorry. Hi. We're critical role experts. <laughs> <laughs> Never claim to be experts. No. Never made that Danny claim. Carr. That's Danny
1: Carr's job. Never made that claim. Not... Nope.
0: Nope. We've gone <laughs> through a lot of narrative to get here, folks. It's been a while what? since we Taldor. since we were in Amon. This is true. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um
2: anyway. anyway. Sir, and, I, and I just took down my, my 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 little whiteboard of connections of people with string in, in in Taldor. Oh.
1: Yeah, when I moved apartments, mine didn't make the transition yeah. unfortunately.
0: Grog then sets Anders body on fire and asks Percy if they can get down to the caverns beneath the castle. Cassandra appears in the doorway, saying that she can lead them there, hair pulled back and tied off, wearing ornate armor and wielding a sheathed sword, sh- short sword and dagger. Grog inspects her neck does not see any bite marks. As Cassandra begins leading the party in the Undercroft, Vex asks if there are any more traps than you can be expected. Cassandra says she's not aware of any, but knowing the Briar Woods, there no doubt will be. So she warns the party to be prepared for anything. As they proceed to the Undercroft, Scalen asks Percy for Ripley's pistol. Percy points out that he would have to train him in how to use it, but Scanlan says it's easy, You just point and pull the trigger and shoot. Reluctantly, Vex hands the pistol to Scanlan, who spins it, holsters it in his pocket, and ends up accidentally pulling the trigger. Fortunately, the gun's not loaded. When Scanlan asks for ammunition, Percy starts to hand him some, because he wants to see him shoot him. (laughs) Self? <laughs> but vax takes Percy, the gun away. Percy
1: believes in the school of hard knocks
0: yes but vax go vax and vex go no and remove the gun <laughs> you're not giving a firearm to a toddler
1: hmm? scanlan is technically older than everybody else in the group but you know mentally speaking wise
0: after taking the weapon, Vax walks up to Cassandra and asks her about Anders and what he wanted her to say. The younger Darola says that she was to shout for help, draw Vax Machina in. Vax gleans into her demeanor and finds her honest as she answers Vax's questions about why she had a blade to her throat today, despite living in the castle. Cassandra tells the story of what happened after Percy left her behind, arrows having felled her. After nearly dying, she was recovered thanks to Father Reyna- Reynaul, uh finding her and bringing her back from the brink at his temple in the cemetery. Things hadn't quite fallen apart back then, and there were more people, in the city, or more people in the city at the time, and the Briarwoods' rule was still fresh, and folks were more eager to speak out against their oppressors. The Droa family was still believed to have fallen from plague, that due to unfortunate political business, the Briarwood had come to power. But people began to question Cassandra the truth, and she voiced as, as much to the population once recovering. The First Rebellion then began to form over the next few years before making their first move. However, they were somehow ready for them, cutting them off at the very end. They weren't sure who was leaking information about their movement, only that the source was close. Before she had the opportunity to find it, she was leading a group uh, to utilize the same secret passage that she and Percy had used before. However, Silas was waiting for them, and he showed no, res- no remorse as he slaughtered everyone in the group with the exception of Sandra. Having recognized her, he chose not to kill her, but to take her back into the castle, making her a prisoner in her own home. Cassandra assumed that by keeping her under lock and key in the castle, the Briarwoods would hold even more sway over the city. Silas used his unnatural charism- charismatic influence to make sure people work beneath him against their will, but Cassandra resisted. Her hatred was too strong, supposedly.
1: So instead, Silas is here in checking off all the classic vampire tropes. And-
0: oh, yeah, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. So yep. instead, Cassandra was left to her own devices. The girl ensures to why, but she didn't question their generosity as if it would give her the chance to undermine them. As the end of them make their way back into the castle interior to the back of the castle interior, finding their way to the cellar that leads to the undercroft and the Darella Mausoleum, Cassandra, cons- Cassandra continues her story. She spent three years in Frederick's library, reading and learning about strategy, tactics, and myth and the myth and history of Whitestone. She found allies within the castle and used them to relay information to Archibald and keeper Yenin to plan another rebellion, Archibald having been necessary in the field as far. She mentions that, that Archibald is alive, which Percy already knew by meeting him face-to-face. Face. As they reach the entrance to the cellar, Cassandra puts pats her mother's armor, saying, saying with a smile that she's glad Joanna wasn't the only tomboy in the bloodline. Before they go deeper into the cellar proper, uh, Percy tells Cassandra that this is the be- that this is the best day of his life, but he can't help but be suspicious, therefore he wants to do one more thing. Cassandra voices her understanding, and Percy wonders if his sister is somehow being controlled. The party is unable to think of a method to determine this, especially since Keyleth did not prepare Greater Restoration. The druid is hoping the Pike would still be with them through this. When asked if he trusts her, Percy notes that he does trust Cassandra, which is the problem. They suggest giving her Cloro's helmet, which may theoretically disrupt any control she may be under. Vax offers the helmet, and the proposal, and the proposal that, sh- uh, that should she still fall under any control, one of them could strike her to break it and that it would go a long way towards earning trust. As they enter the cellar, Cassandra accepts Vax's offer and dons the helmet as it is attuned to her over the next half hour. Percy suddenly has an idea and pulls out a potion bottle, claiming that it could fix things if she is controlled. He hands the potion to Cassandra and she drinks it, but Percy reveals that it was only a potion of healing. The offer being a bluff, Cassandra remarks with a smile that Percy always was the clever one. As Vax takes the helmet back, she notes her armor and says that it feels good to have something close to Joanna with her. You mentioned now now I don't know if it's just because I'm reading it in text file but she has referenced her mother three times mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. past few paragraphs and I don't know if that's like a clue or something that we're missing
1: I think it's just a thematic aspect of the character
0: It's just one of those things where I mean, in, in in narrative you know if somebody go if 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 the if somebody voiced by the game master goes man, you know, I could really use a drink three times in quick succession. You think about going to a tavern. I mean... Um, so...
2: I will say, I think that this serves two purposes. One, character-wise, we are talking about somebody who has essentially... Just discovered. Um, family is very much on her mind as for uh, mm-hmm. over the last hour or so. Um, as for the, I guess easy to say the other the whether it means anything greater um i mean we're trying to be i think that it does without spoiling what's coming up um but i do think and and we'll mark this one so that that, that we we come back to it when um put it put a put a pin in joanna Put a pin in this one for now.
0: Jordan. Yes. sticker to the board. Mm-hmm. Anyways. No. Uh, no Sweetie <laughs> Todd. Yes, Sweetie Todd. Uh, so, uh, so, as Vax takes the helmet back, she notes her armor and says it feels good to have something close to Joanna with her. She mentions that Simon Whisk, Jordana's father, uh, was the one who repaired the armor, and that she hadn't seen him in a while, which worries her. As the party prepares to head downstairs, Keeleth brings up that the Briarwoods may already know they are coming. Galen asks Cassandra if they are downstairs, and chances that they very, they, they very well may be. She notes that she had been ordered to never go down, but she- <sighs> Fuck. Sorry, the wording there just caught me. <laughs> yep. Uh, but she managed to sneak her way through several times. In the times that she did, she made it through the Undercroft all the way to the distillery. She then mentions that Silas and Delilah are usually accompanied by guards, and that they have a high probability of traps or sentries along the way. We broke John! Oh, damn it, it wasn't even us, it was just the wording. I made a promise never to go down. Okay, DJ Collins. Oh my god! I was waiting for the reference. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh we're <working>. ten <laughs>
0: oh. <laughs> mm. <sighs> As they head downstairs, Vex asks about Delilah, and Cassandra mentions that she's not like Silas and that she's human but also a powerful necromancer. I'm not like the other people. And although Silas and Delilah are husband and wife they speak of another as known as the whispered one they assume that the whispered one may refer to the smoke demon that Percy made a pact with or they might just be Polly and have a third person in their primary romantic relationship um all possibilities the whispered one it's si- it's Silas Delilah and the whispered one they have a they have a fun interesting relationship with one another uh, let's say, uh, Scanlan inquires about Goran Vedmire, uh, and mentions that the Goliath's house was the one he burned down. But Vedmire may still be around, so he advises caution. Cassandra notes for amusement and wonder at Scanlan's story about his exploits, much to Percy's chagrin. Uh, uh, Cassandra, saying, It's a shame you're not as tall as your tail, small one. And Scanlan saying, Well, thank you. And Percy immediately going, No! No! Mm. <laughs> Scanlon responds with don't worry and Percy just responds with no Because <laughs> Percy, Percy, Percy knows
2: Scanlon. <laughs> because per, yeah, yeah. That is not a that is not an unfounded concern.
0: Yeah. No one
2: wants to be Scanlan's brother.
0: When when the womanizer starts flirting with your sister, you stop him. Before they head to the Undercroft, Scanlan, to show their enemies that they have Percy's back, proposes that he cast the seeming to disguise them all as Percy and Cassandra, with the Darolo crest emblazoned on their chests. The spell is cast with humorous results, such as Grog being a huge Percy and even Trinket getting the same treatment, with Scanlan making the statement, "We are all Dorolos today." I feel like I feel like Trinket getting
1: the same rough imagery is kind of like putting another overwatch character's skin on winston's model yes
0: that's exactly what happens
1: which is terrifying
0: if you guys want to know what that looks like go look up the video of death of of uh doomfist being overlaid onto everyone else's models it's the most terrifying
1: thing <laughs> you will ever high octane
0: nightmare fuel
1: there <laughs> like... <laughs> For real
0: oh that's just what goes in my head whenever anybody casts seeming to make people look like something they aren't (laughs) or whenever anybody basically whenever anybody casts seeming i just imagine that it's in a video game somebody's just swapping the skins on models but not re-rigging the models or anything you can can practically hear the kill
1: (laughs) Kill kill
0: me (laughs) <laughs> Cassandra is understandably confused, and due to the confusion the spell provides, Keel tries to talk to Vax, but the moment is ruined thanks to Scanlan and Percy. The Undercroft. Continuing on, the party makes their way to the Darula Mausoleum. The mausoleum itself contains stone structures that house the entombed bodies of past families, a place of silent prayer to pay respects towards previous generations. But the tomb doors are open. Using their various light sources, they continue I onward. why. I mean, it's un-
1: not like we It's not like necromancy hasn't been a theme recently. Yeah. Right?
0: And when there's a necromancer and a vampire at large, the first place you want to go is underground into a catacomb. Yep. This is the first place I want to go. Yeah. When I'm the DM. I should make you guys fight skeletons more often. You should. Anyways. You really should. No, no, what we need to do is play as skeletons. I mean, that is good. That's a coming up thing for Final (laughs) Joven. Um, that and our other thirty games that we have planned. I mean, it's good to have plans. It is good to have plans. Better to have thirty games waiting in the wings than to have no games waiting in the wings. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, using the various light sources, they continue onward as quickly as possible, noticing more open tomb doors. And where there was once a wall to mark the end of the room, there's now a gaping tunnel entrance in, in its place. Large piles of dirt put outside. He also noticed broken pieces of white stone carved into parts of the walls or pillars that had failed failed in their construction and since been discarded. As Percy, Keeleth and Vax look around, they notice two slivers of an unknown glass-like material. No one is able to discern its origin, but they begin to assume that the glass may be the residuum that Ripley has spoken of. Vax heads to the back of the group with a piece of glass in hand. Vax and Grog uh, check for tracks, but Grog discovers that there are a cluster of tracks from around seven people there that are a day old, and most lead into the tunnel. Percy Vax and Keelan suddenly notice a drop in temperature and look around. They notice in the darkness something that the half elves had faced once before in Vasselheim: ghosts. They fight the ghosts. There's a big ghost fight. There is a big ghost fight, and and at this point, the the ghost fight really feels a, a, a much more like a. It's a thematic fight that we need to just sort of break the break the flow of the, of the game rather than. Because the game had been pretty heavy up to this point, and mm-hmm. the players needed something to blow off steam with, I feel, and yeah. I don't think that uh, Anders was enough. No. Um. Um. Things that happen of note in the fight: Grog gets possessed by ghosts. So does um, Keyleth. So does Keyleth. Uh, Vax, Keyleth, and Grog actually all three get uh get possessed by ghosts. Um, though, uh, the symbol on Vax's glove flares with light, um, and, uh, forces the ghost out of Vax's body, so we we sort of see what happened, thanks to Pike, in this particular instance. Uh, And
2: in a glorious, and the most glorious end to a fight we've seen yet. (laughs) Which was... Scanlan shaming the final ghost to death.
1: Yes,
0: yes. The Scanlan specifically using vicious mockery on the final ghost to say you're you're so you're not even corporeal. You have no substance. You're nothing. You're a nobody. You amount to nothing in this world. Which was a ghost wearing the robes with the robes with the Drollo crest, crying and being ashamed of himself. <laughs> Which one of my ancestors <laughs> did you shame to death? <laughs> <laughs> it was, was the question asked by Percy, yes. <laughs> um, after the fight, Vox Machina and Cassandra, weary are exhausted from the sudden encounter, catch their breaths as they take a short rest and, par- and press on into the tunnel, bracing themselves for what lies beneath Whitestone. With the rebellion occurring up above and seemingly no end in sight, possible dangers that may still await beneath the city, the final confrontation with the Briarwoods draws even nearer, ever nearer, and only time will tell as to who will prevail. That's the end of reunions. Yep.
1: A <sighs> lot to unpack in this episode, but, uh, and it's, it's always fantastic to see these various levels of, of narrative coming out to, mm-hmm. to play, especially considering what we have to deal with next. <laughs> yep. Um,.
2: Next is the next episode, or next is the next, in episode. next, start? Oh, next
1: okay. episode. Next episode is race to the Ziggurat. Mm-hmm. Yep, yes, it is.
0: Hint: There's a Ziggurat, and they race to it. A little bit,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and we'll be back next week with that. And uh, we're thinking, we're thinking about having critical thinking. Uh, be a streamed podcast where uh, basically you guys will be able to watch this be watch this live and get a little bit earlier than you normally do uh, if that 's something you'd be interested in, please let us know on social media uh, at the various Twitter handles that we have provided previously uh, and uh we' we'll, 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 we may do a trial run with the next episode just to see how it feels and see if we like it but uh that 's a thing that 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 may be happening just to just to sort of change up the way we we do things so Look forward to that. Indeed. Anyways, uh, we're done. So we will see you guys next time. Take goodbye, everybody. Bye, goodbye. everybody. Goodbye.